So Romans 8, and we're going to be starting in verse 31. So from 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks, Josh, for that reading. What a wonderful passage that is. I help out Ollie in youth, and uh, believe it or not, Ollie um, works really, really hard, and sometimes he doesn't have time for tea. So he always pops out the back to the table when we're preparing supper, and he always um, checks to see if he can get a little tidbit first. Um, it wasn't that long ago that Ollie came out and uh, he had a uh, piece of paper with him and I said, what's that? And he said, oh, that's the Found at Five uh, series that we're doing. And I had a quick squiz and I said, um, can I speak on Romans 8, the back end? And so here we are, the back end of Romans 8. just happens to be my favourite passage in all the Bible. What is an anchor? I'm a civil engineer. Pretty much everything we build is anchored to the soil. Soil nails, rock bolts, piles, footings, piers, foundations. It all keeps everything that we build safe and secure. When most people think of anchors, they think of a ship. They think of a big marine anchor that holds the ship secure that founds the ship in a safe place. As we've gone through this series, I haven't been here the whole time, but uh, just reflecting, I, I got Vanif to help me out of what was in the previous weeks. But so far, there's been four parts, or three parts. We're doing the fourth part now. Uh, part one. In Christ, we have freedom from condemnation. What an anchor. In Christ, we have adoption to God's family. Week three, I was here for this one. In Christ, we have a future hope. And, and tonight, in Christ, we're going to learn about God's unconditional love. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for what you've done in sending your son Jesus to die for us, Lord. Um, we cannot comprehend how much it cost you to send your son, but we are thankful, we are grateful, and we are humble. 
Dear Heavenly Father, please um, let the Spirit speak to us tonight as uh, we look into our hearts and reflect on your great love towards us. If you want to hold fast in your spiritual walk, you need an anchor. When we struggle against acceptance, knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, what a great anchor that is to have. But we'll get to that. That's at the back end. I want to go through tonight, I, like I'm an engineer, I looked at this passage logically, believe it or not. There's five questions, an answer to each one of those five questions, it's the same answer, and, and then there's Paul's conclusion. If we start on the five questions, I reflect upon Miss Sharp. Miss Sharp was my uh, year three teacher in Bordertown Primary School. And um, when she asked me, what's two plus two? Believe it or not, she already knew the answer. She didn't ask the question because she wanted to find out the answer. She asked the question because she wanted to know if I understood what was being explained. And that's a bit like what Paul does here. He asks the question. He doesn't want to know that he, he already knows the answer. But he's asking us and expecting us to look at the questions. Question one. What, shall, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Again, I hearken back to Bordertown and... Um, we used to do Sunday school in a little glass room below the mezzanine um, in the Church of Christ. And on, on the glass wall of uh, that little Sunday school room, there was a cartoon. It had a picture of a, a, an army tank and, and one person, and, and then it had an angry mob going against the tank and the one person. And the caption was, one plus God is a majority. And the tank had God written on it. Question two. In verse 32, we see the question asked. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In Matthew we read, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? When Ben was a little boy, well, not little, but um, he wanted a Ben 10 alien creation chamber station. Doesn't want that now, but like when he was young, that's what he wanted. Julie and I searched everywhere, and in the end, we had to ask one of our friends in Queensland to buy it for him because there was none left here in Adelaide. But that's the love that we had for Ben, that we wanted to give him what he wanted. How much more then will our Heavenly Father give for us? Question three. When we get to verse 33 and verse 34, I picture 
this, this heavenly courtroom where there's, there's a persecutor who's making an accusation and there's a judge who's, who's bringing down judgment and condemnation. In verse 33, we hear, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. The prosecutor who brings a charge and the judge who sits ready to condemn. But here's the thing. If it's God who justifies, who can bring any accusation against those that are accused? We get out of jail not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us in that courtroom. It's not anything we can do. It's what Christ has done for us, and it's the shed blood of Christ. Question four. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also intercedes for us. In this verse, we see four things that Christ has done for us, which leads to the four reasons why we can never be condemned. It's Jesus, the one who gave his life for us. I said, I said Jesus gave his life for us. It was his choice. He chose to die. He didn't stumble in front of a, a bullet or anything like that. It wasn't, it wasn't a Stephen Bradbury moment. The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. He's the one who gave his life for the undeserving, for the unworthy, even while we were yet sinners. He is the one who gave his life to complete his perfect obedience to the Father. He is the one who gave his life to forgive all our sins. He is the one who gave his life in all these ways to prove the love of God for us. That God demonstrated his own love towards us while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. What an anchor that we can take. So, reason number one, Jesus chose to die for us. Reason number two, he was raised from the dead by his father. He was raised because the verb is passive. Not Christ rose, but Christ was raised. The point is that the father was so satisfied with the payment for the debt, for the all-atoning work, for the blood that covered our sins, that vindicated his obedience and suffering. It was a finality. When it was finished, it wasn't Jesus who chose it was finished, but it was God who chose it was finished because it was God who raised. Christ was raised because the death was an acceptance of payment in full. When, when you pay an invoice, sometimes, we all pay them online now, but sometimes you used to get a paid in full stamp. I remember 
um, going around with Dad on the on the last Saturday of the month, and we'd go around to all the businesses and and we'd settle all the invoices, and um, and you'd get a stamp paid in full on that invoice, and that gave great comfort to my dad because he knew he didn't have any outstanding debts. But what a great anchor that the Father no longer looks at us and condemns us because our debt has been paid in full. The third reason why we can never be condemned is because he is the one who is at the right hand of God. That, that little phrase, at the right hand of God, had a great power for, for first century Christians who knew their Old Testament. It comes back from Psalm 110 verse 1. God says to the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The meaning is triumph and rule and authority. In other words, to be at God's right hand is to rule in all authority and power and dominion over all the angels' names. Your treasure this way triumphantly and ruling now over all the universe until his enemies are put under his feet. And fourthly, he is the one who sits at the right hand and intercedes for us. Verse 34 finishes with that he intercedes for us. He was and is and ever will be our go-between between us and our Heavenly Father. We might ask, why do we need an intercessor if the death and resurrection of Jesus provided full ground for our forgiveness and righteousness? The answer is that Jesus can't do anything more to pay for our atonement in sin, but he can intercede for us now at the right hand of the Father. Question 5. In verse 35 we read, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? When Paul says trouble, hardship, persecution, nakedness, famine, danger or sword, it's not as if he was down at the local... Um, missionary club or something and he heard that that's what was happening with all the other people on their missionary journeys it's not something that he read in the in in a, in a book or a, in, in theory on on how to be a, a good witness that's what paul experienced firsthand paul experienced hardship persecution famine nakedness danger sword they weren't things he'd made up they were things that he'd experienced. So what's the answer to all those questions? The answer to the question in verse 31 is no one. The answer to the question in verse 32 is nothing. Our Heavenly Father will withhold nothing from us. The third answer in 33 is no one can bring an accusation against us 
The answer in verse 34 is no one can condemn us. And the answer in verse 35 is nothing can separate us from the love of God. No one, no thing, no one, no one, and nothing. If I was after certainty, that's a pretty great certainty. Here's the conclusion that Paul makes. If we skip to verse 38, Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I love the first bit and I love the last bit. When Paul says, for I am persuaded, that is so powerful. Not because of what he's read or what he's thought about, but what he's experienced. And I love the catch-all at the back end that says, nor anything else in all creation. As I said, I'm an engineer. We write contracts all the time. And we always like to have our little catch-all. And the little catch-all is anything else in all of creation. So he lists a couple of things and then he finishes it off with certainty. And he says, there is nothing else that can separate us from the love of God. Romans was written, the scholars tell me, around 56 to 58 AD. In Paul's life up to that time, he was present at the stoning of Stephen. He was a persecutor of the early church. He was converted on the Damascus Road. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was kicked out of the temple. Ollie talked this morning about a, a bias for negativity, about grumbling. If anyone had a basis for grumbling, a bias for negativity, it was Paul. But he said, I am persuaded. That's what I love about this verse. Paul said, I am persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Back in the prospect days, I, I recall a missionary coming to, um, coming to prospect and um, he was interviewed on stage and they asked him, um, what great theological truths have you learnt on the mission field? And I was, I was expecting something about predestination or, you know, once saved, all saved or, or, or something like that. But when he came to explain what he had learned, he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> a, a, a kid's song? But then he went on to emphasise, this I know. He had experienced the love of God and he had experienced that Jesus had loved him and he affirmed 
this I know. We've got Paul's conclusion, we've got that missionary's conclusion, and I want to tell you a little bit about myself. My mum got saved in the Billy Graham Crusades in 56. My dad went to church on Christmas and Easter, but um, I uh, I went along to the Uniting Church in Bordertown, and we had an Easter camp when I was a, a, a young fella. And um, I went because all my mates were going. Um, and uh, I also liked fishing, and it was down at Robe, and we could go fishing. And um, after one of the morning uh, services, uh, um, Ross Marshall, John Fryer, Lee McLeod and myself nicked off to go fishing to this alleged great spot that Lee knew. But when we tried to get there, two and a half layers later, we still weren't anywhere near Lee's spot. And Ellis Creaser, he came trudging through the tidal flats after us and he found us and he gave us a bit of a talking to. And then he, um, then he took us back to the, the, the camp, put us up against one of the dorms, squirted us down with a hose because we were covered in, um, in river mud. And uh, he hustled us off to uh, a clearing where everyone was. And uh, they were um, having a, uh, an Easter service. And uh, we'd missed lunch. And they were breaking big chunks of bread. And they had big glasses of, of juice. And they said, if anyone wants to come forward and eat this bread and um, drink this juice, come forward. I'd missed lunch, so <laughs> I went forward. The look on my mum's face when I rocked up back home, she's like, you've become a Christian. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I went through most of my um, teenage life um, thinking that I was a Christian, but not really knowing who God was. And it wasn't until a, um, a Christian Endeavour camp, uh, 85, 86, I think it was, when I went to the watch night service and I heard God's call on my life. That's why I love this verse so much at the back end of Romans 8. That night, God called me. That night, I knew that nothing could separate me from the love of God. That night, I understood what Jesus had done for me and what the cost of the Father was. I was convinced that nothing could separate me from the love of God. Early in our, our, our marriage, um, to my wife, lovely wife Julie up the back there, um, Julie got cancer. It's not something that you expect to go through in the first couple of years of your life. You, you don't even plan to go through cancer. Well, I know we didn't, not at 24. Um, but all through Julie's cancer, you know, um, I knew, I was persuaded that nothing could separate us from the love of Christ. Having gone through cancer, we thought, happy sailing. All our trials are over. We'll just coast along for a little bit. Um, we went through IVF to get our three beautiful children. But again, that was a journey. It was hard. James teaches us that, that trials produce faith. 
And then faith assures us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Just this week, this week, last week, last week, the elders and I had a difficult conversation. The elders recommended that I withdraw my candidacy for eldership. Through it all, I can assure you that I have peace and I know that nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus and the love of God that's in Jesus. God's love cost him. Jesus himself said that he came to give his life as a ransom. There was a debt to be paid and there was a cost to that debt. What is your conclusion? I've talked about Paul's conclusion. I've talked about about the missionary's conclusion. I've talked about my conclusion. What is, what is your conclusion? Young people, do you have an I am persuaded moment? You don't have to have an I am persuaded moment to, to experience the love of Christ, the, the, the love of God. But what is holding you firm in your faith? What is your foundation? What does your anchor look like? Is it firm? Is it strong? Is it founded in your Saviour's love? What are you putting your hope on? What is your anchor? Whose anchor is it? Is it yours? Is it your mate's? Is it your parents? There are three questions that I'd like you to think about this week as you go about your week. What is your I am persuaded moment? What does your anchor look like? What have you put your trust in? Whose anchor is it? Do you own it? Is it your own? Four takeaways. One anchor, four takeaways. In Christ, we have freedom from condemnation. In Christ, we are adopted into God's family. In Christ, we have hope beyond our present suffering. And in Christ, we have God's unconditional love. That's it, folks. But what an anchor to take away what a series of those four things that we can hope and have trust in